For several, several months now, we have been in the book of Mark. Um, we, we've taken a couple of small breaks, but we've been in the book of Mark here at Grace for a while now. So if you have not been with us, we have worked our way. We are all the way. And this morning, we're going to go Mark chapter 9. We're going to go verse 33 through the end of the book of, or end of the chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. Read with us. Um, There are Bibles also in one of the seats probably close to you. We'll also have it on the screen. So I invite you to open that and read with us when we get there. As you kind of turn, I want to take just a minute. I want to look back at some of the things that we've seen the disciples do say be about during our time in Mark thus far. If you're in a life group, um, you you may have have felt yourself in conversations during life group or maybe even as you just sit and think and hear the word taught here on Sunday mornings or maybe just in your normal reading, you would think every time I seem to hear the disciples say anything or respond, I go, really? That's what they decided to say right there? Think back with me if you will. We look at some of the first parables that that Jesus taught in Mark, and Jesus had been spending time with these disciples, had probably already been having a lot of one-on-one time, and he he goes and he tries to break some hard truths down in parable form and says them to this group of people that he was teaching, and the disciples have to respond with, "What, what is this? And Jesus is like, do you really still not understand? We, we think back to, to um, chapter 4. After the disciples had already seen Jesus perform miracles and teach in some really amazing ways, they're encountering a storm. And they're in a boat, and Jesus has went down in the bottom of the boat, and he is laying there sleeping, and a storm comes up, right? And the winds are howling, the waves are crashing, the rain is just thundering down. And the disciples, what do they do? They go down to the bottom of the boat and, and, and sarcastically go, Teacher, don't you even care that we're about to die? Jesus gets up, I, I can only imagine, in a calm fashion. And with nothing but his voice, literally silences the storm. The rain stops, the winds die down, the waves stop crashing. What does Jesus say? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? When they encountered 5,000, the, the, the disciples said to Jesus, hey, hey, these guys, these, these people have been here for a while. We, we need to send them home so they can go eat. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you feed them? And the disciples' sarcastic remark is, what, what, do, you, do you want us to go spend like 200 denarii on food so we can feed these people? And Jesus is like, okay, what, what food do you have? Five loaves and two fish. What do, what do you want us to do? Jesus blesses it and proceeds to feed the 5,000. Then we we think to chapter 7. We see the disciples misunderstanding parables again. And Jesus having to explain in plain words again how they had misunderstood and didn't get it. Then in chapter 8, yet again, we're told that that the disciples are in this situation where they have a group of 4,000 or or more this time. And guess what? Jesus says, feed these 4,000. And the the disciples yet again respond with like, where are we going to get enough food to feed 4,000 people? Have you guys not seen this story before? And then later in, in, in that chapter, we see the disciples worried about where they're going to find food for themselves. And we're going, of all the things for you to be worried about right now, food is it? You don't think Jesus can provide your food? 
Man, then later, literally in, in chapter 8, the last chapter, we see Jesus proclaim the fact that he is going to die. And what does Peter do? Opens his mouth again. And Jesus has to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. And we just got, ah, what are you thinking? How do you not get it yet? What, what, are, we, what are you doing? How do you not understand the picture that Jesus has been painting throughout this time that you have spent with him day in, day out, sitting under his teaching, him telling you all the things that you need to know, and you still don't get it? Even earlier in this, right, we see at the transfiguration, Chad, Chad joked about it a couple weeks ago, but yet, yet again, it says Peter started talking about all these things he was going to do, and it said he, he just started talking because he didn't know what else to do. It feels like week after week, we just see these examples of the disciples doing these things that just head in face type moments where we're just like, what, what are you thinking? How do you not understand yet the things that Jesus has been trying to teach you all of this time? I bring this up because I think it is easy for us to criticize and to look and to see and to go, how could they not understand? Why don't they get it? That is so silly. That doesn't make sense. Pick all of this up yet. But if we were honest with ourselves, more than likely, Jesus would be saying the same things about us had he been walking among us today. And so we're quick to criticize and go, that's silly, that doesn't make any sense. But in all reality, if we were to look at our hearts today, there are probably lots of things where we're taking something and doing the, all the wrong things with it. And if we were able to step out of our own shoes and look at the situation, we would go, oh my goodness, what are you doing? How do you not get it yet? God has been faithful and has continued to be patient with you, and yet you continue to do, to say these silly things. And so as we jump in this morning, as we try to wrestle through 33 through 50, the end of, of chapter 9 here, I want us to be sensitive to that. I hope that, that as we jump in, we do recognize the silliness or the foolishness or the sinfulness of the disciples, but I hope we use that as a means to go, oh no, where is the darkness in my heart that I have not given up, that I have not been humble enough to say, oh, oh that, that is the same sin that is in my heart that I've not dealt with. That's the same misunderstanding that I've got, that I've not listened to what God has to say about it. So, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about? What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. Because, there's one, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. 
And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. The unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. God, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that we would come humbly. I pray that we would come recognizing that we are sinful, broken, and in need of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would come ready to see the blind spots that we have in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be just more aware that we are called to be servants of all, not to, not to, 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 to be first in line. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we jump straight into the passage here, um, the, the interesting thing that we see is the first thing that Jesus asks after they get to Capernaum, they probably settled in some, and Jesus just, just decides to throw out the question, what were you arguing about on the way? And it got real silent all of a sudden. Because you can imagine the disciples are probably now, at a minimum, realizing how silly their argument was and or embarrassed and ashamed of what they had been arguing about. Right? If we think about it, it says that they were arguing about who was the greatest. And you can imagine how this conversation would go. First off, whoever, fill in the blank, one of the 12 probably steps up and goes, I'm going to take this spot. Like, Jesus has been talking about potentially dying and going away. I don't know, but I'll do this. I can handle that. You can imagine somebody else going, oh, I bet you will. Do you remember what you said to Jesus right there? That ain't going to work. Next one, I, I can do this. I got it. I don't think so. Don't you remember? And on and on it goes, back and forth, bickering, arguing with one another about who it was that could really fill the shoes, who it was that would be the greatest among all of them. As we look and we think about if we were truly trying to have the argument about who was the greatest among all of us, I would hope that we all go, oh man, that's a scary argument to be having. That attitude is a dangerous one to have, but yet the disciples were caught up in it. And so when Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the way? They all go silent because they recognize how silly and or potentially how damaging it was to relationships between one another. Verse 35, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Man, so, so what's going on here? So Jesus calls together them to, to sit and he's going to talk a little bit more. This was probably him calling them together to have like a more formal teaching time because they were already together. They had traveled to Capernaum. So they, they were already together, but he calls them together to sit and have a more formal teaching time. And then he tells them flat out, he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. And then to kind of even illustrate this picture more, what does he do? He brings in a child to be in and amongst them more formal teaching time. Why would that be significant? Well, I just want us to think. The disciples as a whole, since the very beginning of Mark, when we saw them coming into the picture, 
What do they think about the kingdom that the Messiah is supposed to usher in? They think the Messiah is going to come in and he's going to usher in this kingdom with force and with power. Probably going to have some military victory and is going to overthrow, right? And so they have this picture in their head of this, of this kingdom that's coming where we're going to have some strong warrior in the worldly term to come in and, and take over. And so Jesus calls them together and he says, if any of you want to be first, you must be last. You must be servant of all. Let me, let me just lay it out for us all. I hope we all realize this. If you want to overthrow, take over by force, you don't become last. You don't become a servant of all. By all worldly standards, that's not how you win the war. In case you were curious, right? Let me tell you what else you don't do. You also don't bring the kids into the mix and let them be there and invite them in to the discussion. Because at the time, what were children? They, they were an inconvenience. They weren't looked on highly in the day. Because what? They're, 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 they're just a lot of work. Why don't they just go hang out with the women? That's what their thoughts would have been at this point. Why are they in here? Jesus is teaching formally. Why, why are they here right now? They were helpless. They were vulnerable. They would have taken more of their time, energy, resources. You don't take them in on the battlefield with you if you're trying to go in and take over by force. But really, when we look at all of Mark and what we've seen to this point, Jesus continues to pick those people that are vulnerable, that are hurting, that are outcasts, that are those that would have been seen as just a problem child, just, just people who, who were outside of the people that you would want to go after and have on your team if you're going to take over. Jesus has done that from the beginning of the Gospels and will continue to do that throughout the rest of this. And so you can imagine the disciples that just spent their time arguing about who was the greatest and who was going to take over this march that they were going to have even if Jesus was to go away for some reason, which they still didn't understand. And Jesus, yet again, flips this on its head. Many would call it this upside-down kingdom that he is, he is ushering in, that he is talking about, that he's explaining to the disciples that, man, they, they, they have yet to understand. And yet again, this would have been this stark contrast to what they expected or, or, or really even desired. And so, man, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus makes it clear that, man, the point of what he is doing and the thing that is most important for these people is that they would go and they would care for, they would protect, they would serve those that are hurting, those that are weak, those that are vulnerable. Verse 38, John said to him, teacher... We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Can you picture for just a minute what John and the other disciples are dealing with? Right? They, they see this person who is driving out demons in Jesus' name, but he's not in their camp. So like, I, I've got to shut this down, right? Like that, I, I, he can't keep doing that. We, he's not been with us this whole time. And Jesus goes, don't shut him down. Don't stop him. He proceeds to tell us 
Because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. I mean, I think this, this little section of this passage is, is tough. It, it's tough for me. Because I think it's tough for me for the same reasons it was tough for the disciples here. Right? Because when I see things going on, and maybe I can even argue, well, those, those, those seem to be things of God, but they're not in my camp. They don't think the exact same way I do about this issue or that issue. They claim Jesus, Him crucified. They claim Jesus is God, but man, I, I'm a little nervous. I don't have control over this. Look, I, I, I am not at all going to sit here and say that we shouldn't fight for truth and care about what is right. But if our first, if our first reaction is to shut down just because someone disagrees with us on some secondary, tertiary, political, or, or, or strategy type issue, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. Let me explain why. We have already seen the disciples sit here and walk with Jesus for a significant period of time and have him explain things to them time and time and time and time again. And yet they continue to get it wrong and miss the strategy and miss the point. Are we not susceptible of the same things? Is there not a chance that we don't have some of the answers perfectly correct? So, so I challenge us when we, when we sit here and we think about things going on in our world and maybe we don't line up perfectly with this or that, but we do line up on the fact that Jesus, fully God, fully man, came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised three days later, and that his sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that saves us. If we can agree on that, we, we better give some grace to one another on some of the other issues and some of the other things that come up. We better be willing to hear, hear what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, you ought to be, man, we ought to celebrate and, and the world would give a cold glass of water in the middle of a hot, dry desert. Right? That, 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 that's what that picture was. Jesus said, the reward is great for those that because you're a Christ follower, because you believe in Jesus, someone gave you a cup of water in the middle of a dry, hot desert. That's where they were. Man, their reward is great in heaven. I think we ought to strive to want to be a cold glass of water for those in a hot, dry desert. Because I think each and every one of us, when we look at the world around us, and even when we are pursuing in, in, in good ways, trying to go be the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of a messed up, broken world, it is a hot, dry desert a lot of days. And to think that so many times we're being beat up and knocked down by those that also claim Jesus. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And I will also say, I don't think we're going to love the broken world around us very well if we can't even love one another very well. Verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, this, This portion of passage, both the first line and the next two, probably shouldn't be taken literally (laughs) because if it was taken literally then uh, we should have sewed Peter's mouth shut a long time ago (laughs) right we have seen him stick his foot in his mouth so many times it's not even funny right this is not to be taken literally but it is to be taken seriously right so when we sit here and we think about what are the things in our lives that, that, that maybe it's words that we say, maybe it's actions, maybe it's ways that we interact and, and do that would cause the, the little ones. And, and again, this is a reference back to the child. This doesn't just mean physical children. This also just means the weak, the vulnerable, maybe new believers that aren't as confident, don't have as much understanding of things. If we are doing things, saying things, putting them in positions where it causes them to want to fall away, It is better that we would tie the millstone around our neck and be thrown into the water. That's a serious picture. And so again, I I don't want it to be taken literally, but I do want us to take it seriously. And then then we see the the next portion, man, if my hand is causing me to cut, is causing me to to sin, to fall away, then I ought to cut it off. If my foot, cut it off. If my eyes, if my tongue, cut them out. What is the picture that's being painted here? The picture that's being painted here is that, look, all of these conveniences, worldly things, maybe even enjoyable things that we have, if they are taking us away from our spiritual walk with Jesus, they're not worth it. They're not worth it. Pursuing the person of Jesus, pursuing the holiness of God surpasses all of the other conveniences and enjoyable things that we get to have here. And so if it's inconvenient because I've got to, man, put all kinds of lockdowns on my phone to make sure that I honor God with the way that I use it, it's worth it. If I've got to avoid X, Y, Z thing completely because it causes me to, to, man, really think poorly of brothers and sisters in Christ over things that aren't worth it, then it's worth it to do away with that. So... So again, when we, when we see this, these pictures painted of, of if we're causing those that are vulnerable, those that are hurting, those that are weaker to fall away, we need to take that seriously. We need to stop. We need to do away with those things. If we ourselves are putting ourselves in positions that cause us to fall away, to sin, to interrupt the, the, the communion that we have with God, then we need to do away with those things. In this last portion here, verse 49 and following, and following, for everyone will be salted with fire. That, that's just a reference to, and Christians are going to face persecution. I, I don't want to get confused in the words, but Christians are going to face persecution and, and fire was, was a purifying agent in the sacrificial system, right? And so it's saying that, hey, look, the, the persecution that you're going to face, it, it is going to be a purifying agent, even though it's going to hurt. 
And then what? Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. What is salt? Well, salt is this, is this indicator of, of something different, right? It, was a, it, was a, um, it would have been flavorful and it would have been preserving, right? So when we think about us being the salt and light of the world, everybody's heard that reference if you've been around here for a while. We, we are to be different. We are to be set apart. And so we are to be to the world and, and other believers and people around us. We are to be man, a refreshing spiritual flavor, (laughs) right? And we're to preserve good things. It's really interesting, right? Because the the start of this section that we're studying, they uh, they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because they were arguing, bickering back and forth with one another about who was the greatest. And then to end what we're saying this morning, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. It is very difficult to be at peace with one another when all I'm trying to do is prove to you that I'm right. When we look at the breakdown of the different parts of this passage, realistically, right, that first section, what does he say? He says, if he wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. You want to know how to make peace with somebody? Go serve them. Man, you you want to know how to knock down walls in people's lives? Go take care of them when they're hurting. Man, when, when, when we see this second set of verses, don't stop the one who is driving out demons in my name proclaiming Jesus. And have grace and compassion and be humble enough to realize that I may not have every answer right. And so if you're claiming Christ and Christ crucified, I want to be a cold glass of water in a hot, dry desert. That's a good way to make peace with one another. And so here's what I want to say. Brothers and sisters, those that, that, that claim Jesus as their Savior in the room, what are things in your life where instead of being a cold glass of water in a hot, dry place, and you're, you're tearing down over things that are not worth it. Where are the places in your life where you're not making peace with brothers and sisters and displaying this, this unreal like ability to build relationship in spite of differences? Because Jesus reconciles people together that don't make sense to go together otherwise. These 12 disciples, realistically, if you were to start breaking them down and looking at each individual person, it doesn't make sense for, them 12 to, for those 12 to come together and agree on much. They're all coming from different spots with different thoughts on a lot of different things, and all of them are getting it wrong. And so, so brother and sister, are, 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 there, are there things, actions, places that you're going, things that you're doing, people that you're listening to, They cause you to be more frustrated and disappointed and at odds with other believers? If so, we need to be very careful. Are there things that you're doing, places that you're going, areas of your life where you're, where, where, man, you're in sin and you're causing 
other younger believers, those that are, that are weak, that, that don't have as much time in the word to fall away and stumble. We've got to take action on that. But in order for us to do so, we, we have to actually be willing to admit that in this case, Jesus is time and time again trying to com- communicate to the disciples that they have got to be humble. That if they want to be first, they're going to have to be last. They're going to have to be a servant of all. Again, I, I don't want to at all confuse things here. I'm not asking us to give up truth for this. What I am saying Jesus, since chapter one of each of these, continues to display grace and mercy and go and serve and take care of those who are hurting. That's what even allows him the opportunity to speak and share and for people to come want to see and hear what he's got to say. So I want to be known for truth. And I also want to be known for taking care of those that are hurting, taking care of those that Jesus would have taken care of. The beautiful thing is this morning, we're actually going to get to take communion in a couple of minutes. And so if, if you're an unbeliever in the room, let, 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 me, let me just say a couple of things. If you don't believe in Jesus yet, or maybe you're going, I don't know. Here's the beautiful part about what we get to see in this passage and in um, really all of the gospel. Jesus continues to love and take care of those that don't deserve it. Why is that beautiful and and awesome for you? Well, because you don't deserve it. (laughs) And neither do I. In fact, I am broken and messed up and probably a perfect example of all of these silly things that the disciples have said time and time again that we've gotten to just sit here and look at and criticize and talk bad about. I've done it. I've said it. I've acted that way. And so what we believe is that Jesus came, he lived this perfect life and continued to pour into these disciples despite their shortcomings, despite their messing it up and not getting it and acting in selfish ways time and time again. Jesus continued to pour into them, to continue to love them, continued to allow them to be a part of ushering in this new kingdom, of bringing the church to the world. He continued to let them be a part of that. He also invites you. So uh, the band is going to come up as they do. Um, they're they're going to sing this first song. And as they do, I, I, we, we are going to take communion. And so if you are a believer, even if you're not a member here, we would encourage you to, to take. So during the song, while they're playing the first part of the song, come and grab a cup or two cups of the, 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 the wine and the bread. It is Welch's wine, just in case you were curious. But come and take. If you're not a believer, you don't know where you stand. We would ask that you don't. And let me just explain why. It's because when we take, we are declaring the fact that we believe that Jesus was fully God, fully man, came and really did die on the cross. His body really was broken and his blood really was poured out. And so if you don't believe those things yet, then you should abstain. But man, what a celebration we get to sit here and celebrate in communion because verse 35 If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. There is no greater demonstration of the first becoming last and being a servant of all than Jesus' death on the cross. God, this morning, as we continue in worship and get to sing praises to your name, as we get to take communion, Lord, I pray 
that we, it would be our heart's desire that we would, we would be at peace with one another. I pray that it would be our heart's desire that we would cling to truth, that we would care about the truths of your word, Lord, but that in the midst of all of that, that we care about taking care of those that, man, seem inconvenient, seem to just be needy, seem to be helpless. Lord, I pray that we would find ways to do that. I pray that we would come alongside brothers and sisters and that we would be a cold glass of water in the midst of a hot, dry desert. Thank you for Jesus and the ultimate example of that. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.